I'm joined today by Lee Emmett, who is the Managing Director of Sanctuary International, uh, an agency that recruits, amongst other professionals, social workers from abroad to work in the UK. Welcome to the programme, Lee. Thank you for having me. Okay. Would you, would you want to just say a little bit about yourself first before we get into the um, the detail of, of the work and how you came about to do it? I mean, what, what was your own history, for example? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in my early 30s, I've um, got two children and, uh, and a partner and I uh, tend to spend a lot of my free time uh, riding my bike and, and reading and playing some musical instruments. But career-wise... I uh, ended up working for Sanctuary Personnel, one of the largest social care recruitment agencies, and that was about 2009. Uh, Sanctuary uh, was already established as a really, really, really large social care agency, um, and have always done things uh, in their own way, um, had, I guess, a higher emphasis around the added value that they provide to candidates and clients. And there's a few unique things about them, like they never take on anybody from a recruitment company before. I set up the healthcare part of the business and was the first recruitment consultant for that and never had any aspirations to be a leader or a manager or anything like that really, but it just seemed to uh, kind of all fall into place and was quite fortunate that took on some very good staff and um, where healthcare was today uh, is larger than the social care part of the business. Sanctuary uh, in its entirety has over 200 members of staff and uh, I found myself managing, uh, I guess, more people than I felt comfortable with and um, I was just at a stage in my career that I wanted to have a small agile team and a unique focus and was looking at to, you know, what parts of recruitment and what parts of the world do I want to make a difference on. Okay. Let, let me just drill down a little bit then. Thanks for that because I, as you well know, I have talked to one of your um, senior colleagues before, the, James Rook, the CEO, who, who, who's kind enough to do a podcast with me, and quite a few of the principles that he went by, I do believe that uh, you stick to and adhere to as well, but just let me just check that out. If yeah, I'm of course. My, my understanding is that it's terribly important to you, and that's why I'm interested in talking to you, to be quite frank, uh, that the ethical side of care recruitment is as vitally important as just getting bums on seats or bodies in jobs um tell us just a little bit about the thinking behind that and and the various things that you absolutely adhere to in terms of helping people adjust and bringing them to this country because if I'm right, my understanding is you don't just bring people, throw them into jobs and take the money. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's more than right. Um, I mean, international recruitment, you, you don't tend to do, I guess, for um, any kind of massive commercial benefit. It's, it's really, um, you know, for me, it's around running an organisation that, um, you know, we definitely want to be successful and, and money is one measurement of success that you can take away. Um, but it's really about making a difference to, in the world. And we set up international recruitment in the healthcare side. Um, international recruitment within healthcare is very established. Hospitals take on thousands of staff uh, from overseas every single year. W within that um, kind of process, there is, I guess, a, um, 
lots of risk elements attached and lots of challenges. And I'd say it's risk elements financially for NHS trusts. And there is a lot of hurdles for international workers coming to the UK. So let's explore some of them, because I think there, there will be people listening around the world here to this. Um, and it might be, I think it'd be very interesting to sort of let people know the sort of things that you do and look for and ask people for in the whole process, because you don't just sort of get somebody from the Caribbean and say, give them an air ticket and say, welcome, and that's it, do you? No, absolutely. So we have a really robust screening process, which is really important. Um, most, I guess, um, from, from my understanding, how a lot of organisations recruit internationally is they um, put adverts out overseas and you know, if they want to take on 20 members of staff, since they've got 20 applicants, um, you know, they're happy with receiving those applicants. Whereas what we've put the work in is to establish a network of thousands of professionals. Through that economy of scale, you're able to screen and really drill down into making sure that the professionals are just in the nuts and bolts of are they are who they say they are, is their experience legitimate? But more than that, we want to understand their motivations and the you know the uh, place in their career um, and the value that you know values that they sit by. Um, that really helps us, I guess, provide a better quality of professionals. But what we're also passionate about is the well-being of the workers. And that's something that does get lost uh, within international recruitment, particularly when you start getting okay. volumes of international people coming to the UK. You get scenarios such as, you, know, um, you get, uh, for example, you could have a young female professional from India who's leaving two children and a husband behind to come settle here. You can't afford the visas uh, for the family, so you spend a year in the UK until you can. Now, you know, I, I can't imagine what that feels like, um, but from speaking to professionals mm. that do go through that, um, there is, you know, within existing processes and norms, not enough support for those individuals when they arrive. Um, and you also get, which is inherent in, um, you know, certain recruitment agencies, I guess a lot of sort of false promises and over embellishing of what life is going to be like. And, and ultimately, um, you know, we're a developed nation compared to some, but life in the UK for, you know, a nurse or a social worker or what have you is still very, very tough and very difficult. It's a really, really challenging job. Um, so I guess we're very transparent in our processes um, as well. And that allows, I guess, the, um, professional once they arrive, you know, they know exactly what they're, they're setting themselves up for and within that transparency then you're able to I guess support through every stage of the, of the way so not just providing all of the you know the process stuff of visas flights relocation we do put a lot of effort into that there's some fun you can have with that for a client in Yorkshire we create little hampers which is quite nice of uh, putting little things together like the autobiography of a famous Yorkshireman um and the recipe for you know Yorkshire batter and stuff like that just adds a nice touch and then no, 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 no. That's right. Let me, let me stop you just for a second because I want to hear more of that. But just, just to let people grasp a second the, the care that has to be put in. Take that example that you had of the um, the young professional from India coming across and having to leave the family at home for a year. Um, I mean, firstly, can we just debunk a myth that I mean, people are not coming here to take jobs from UK staff, there, there is a great shortage. I'm, I, I'm right, I'm anti, in terms of actual people that's needed within social services. I know health as well, but essentially in social services, 
there are a lot of jobs around that need filling that there aren't enough UK workers to fill. Is, is, is that, am I correct? Oh, absolutely. There's thousands of vacancies still. Um, you know, the UK doesn't produce enough health or social care professionals itself um, for lots of different reasons. It's not seen as, a, as such an attractive um, you know, profession. And I could talk all day about um, I guess the reasons why mm -hmm. that is. Well, no, we've talked on this programme a lot about that before, so you're pushing an open door there. <laughs> we'll save that for another time then, perhaps. Mm. But um, mm. yeah, ultimately, we're not producing enough um, professionals ourselves, and um, so we need to go overseas. One of the interesting things about international okay. recruitment, I find, in regards to to that there is there is still a hesitation for uh, local authorities and nhs trusts to recruit overseas even though it is a in in, in our view um one of the highest valuable ways to you know fill posts okay well look let, let that's fine let's let's take it a bit further on that one then we still might as well just use the same example you gave of the the young professional woman from india coming here now she will obviously have qualified as a social worker in India. Uh, you obviously have to be certain that she can satisfy the regulatory authorities in the UK. Um, to start with, even before we even think about the personal care and you know how to settle somebody in and how to offer them, you know, a comfortable um, transition. So, what's required? How do you go about? checking that they're able to satisfy the regulations and the professional qualifications that are required in, in the UK? So we align our pre-employment checks with UK standards. So um, ID check is critical to make sure people are who they say they are. We then ask for um, certificates for their qualifications. You have to meet requirements around English language. So um, we ask for the same certificates on that. And then we also assess ourselves. So we have uh, a very well-trained team of professionals that will interview. And it's not just about you know, having the certificates and saying you, you have the English language you know, level to get a visa and be registered with Social Work England. As part of that assessment, we want to make sure that they have the ability to properly interact with family service users and their peers. Um, okay, how, how, do you, how do you go about that? Sorry, kind of interrupting you there, but I think that's terribly important that people to understand because some people might say, let's, let's be honest here, that some people coming from part of the world as they might grasp English, which is incredible, you know, if it's not their first language. But um, in the actual accent and pronunciation and, and understanding of regional kind of um, quirks and mores and particular issues, you know, you mentioned Yorkshire, for example, it could be Newcastle, it could be Scotland, it could be anywhere. I mean, where there are particular regional um, accents and, and, and also customs and practices. How, how do you go about helping them um, blend in and, and become much more... Um, comfortable with it um so I, I guess that's moving away from you know there's the uh, ensuring that they have the ability to um communicate effectively in the uk as part of the screening process but ensuring that professionals um you know uh, culturally adapt to the uk and wherever in the uk they arrive um, now that is where we i guess spend more time than anything else because that's uh, i guess makes the difference between being what we are as a consultative um, recruitment approach to, you know, like you uh, alluded to earlier, putting bums on seats um, and, and just being, mm. a, you know, a bog standard recruitment agency. So the culture integration is massive for us. Um,
Uh, cultural integration essentially for us is ensuring that professionals, once they arrive into the UK, that they are set up to be as successful as possible. Um, international group, mm. you go for all that work, come into the UK. Local authorities have to put a lot of resource into um, ensuring that the people arrive. And if they arrive and they're not supported and they're not happy and they don't really um, integrate well with their teams and their community, then that's where retention is a massive issue. Okay. You, you talked to me before about a massive amount of um, work that goes into uh, video CVs um, that you ask people to complete and the, in their application process. You, you possibly said even there might even be hundreds of questions and this is in their country of origin before they would even um, think about coming to the UK. I mean, what sort of questions would be in these? Yeah, so the um, video CVs is is part of a new software solution that we're launching um, shortly later on the year, uh, which is called Migrate HR. Mm. Now, the view of that, I guess I use this analogy all the time, but it's um, traditional recruitment agencies being a bit like a blockbuster. We want to evolve and be more of a Netflix and um, use technology uh, to connect people in a, a better, more efficient and cost-effective way. Now, part of that is uh, producing video CVs. Um, the video CVs, uh, when people register, they're on to migrate. What they are asked to do is populate and answer questions. Those questions are fitted around certain categories. So it's five categories, and they would have to basically select what questions they ask. But they have to um, answer a minimum of three on each category. So those categories are things like, you know, give me an example of when you've challenged a peer or, you know, Deep, in, deep dive into the personality around you know, how much do you care about children, which is um, you know something that we've mm -hmm. spoken about before. Um, understanding the difference of core work in the UK, certain acronyms, um, and it, they do get the choice to the chance to choose what questions they do ask. But because they have to answer a minimum of three on each category, you get a real um, insight into the professional away from I guess what slightly archaic like just a CV and um, yeah. yeah I think that's great because effectively you get a much broader idea of the person um, I mean we, yeah we, you're right when you mentioned that we did talk about this before I remember when, when when we said that it used to be very straight laced if you like some of the ways that people were interviewed without trying to get deep into the character because obviously social work which I'm sure you'd agree, is a profession that relies totally on uh, relationship building with, um, with clients, with customers, service users. And so if you aren't able to transmit a caring relationship and build on that and understand signals, it's very, very much more difficult to actually do the job, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely it is. And and that's a challenge for international workers coming to the UK is the different like, structures that they can work within. You know, we know of uh, social workers in Zimbabwe that have a caseload of 300. You know, within that kind of caseload, yeah. you know, they don't have the opportunity to build relationships with families. It's, it's, a, you know, it's much more of a process. Whereas um, coming to the UK, you know, it's critical that they build those relationships and communicate in, in the right way. And via a video CV, cultural integration and, all the different steps that you know you can take and, and influence people you know with it does provide a broader picture of how that social worker is going to perform in the uk and you know ultimately you know cv is 
for me, is quite an outdated way to get an insight into somebody's professional capacity. Do you get, I mean, relationships with employers, obviously, is the other, if you like, the other side that you face. You know, you face the employers, you face the employees. But um, like you said, there's thousands of vacancies still. And that's not really shifted hugely in the last few years, in my understanding. Is that a fair um, estimate? Yeah, very fair. You know, statistics are widely available on um, you know, the amount of professionals, whether on a net gain, on how many social workers are registered in the UK or not. Um, and, and you know, there's lots of different ways that um, the UK is looking to tackle it. Um, and I guess, in my view, uh, international is um, tried and tested to a point, but What's interesting is that within education and IT, engineering and healthcare, organisations when they have you know, huge numbers of vacancies will see the international community as a, um, I guess, one of the early avenues that you explore. Whereas for local authorities, mm. it's it's often seen as a last resort. And I've actually been and sat with uh, Director of Children's Services in a council, very, very good council. Um, and they want to do international recruitment. They want a more diverse workforce. They want to um, reduce some of their agency spend and get some permanent experienced staff in. It's definitely one way to do that. Um, and they know that uh, within their you know, local community, they've explored all the avenues. So they're, they're looking international. But one of the things that they fear, um, which really resonated with me, and I was dwelling on it for days was that international because it is seen as a last resort they don't want to be known as a type council that does international recruitment because it might affect their reputation um and so i guess to that end one of our missions is to ensure that international recruitment isn't you know a um, last resort and it's it's an early avenue that you do explore um, and there's lots of added value around it and we take away you know a lot of the risks and the myths you can express, I, I understand the dilemma. I mean, you know, and in some respects you think, my goodness, you know, it's a lot, you know, we must make more local people available because there'd be less expense, there'd be more understanding of local regional issues, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, in this whole situation of, of the coronavirus, about 30 to 40% of the NHS comes from outside these shores. Yeah. And they've proved fantastic in actually helping care for our indigenous population. And, you know, the same for social workers. Social workers have played a huge part in actually carrying on where there's been vulnerable children and adults involved that needed, needed uh, overview, supervision, needed care, needed checking on, needed help. I mean, and an awful lot of these social workers have come from outside these shores as well. It's been in a truly international effort. And therefore, you know, I don't think there's any problem whatsoever in saying that it's been worth it. The question really is, though, is what do you see the future looking like? Um, yeah, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, for me, mm. you know, we, we've, and I, and I you know, I'm not going to get into political conversation, but when you look at the world and the troubles it has at the moment in regards to, um, you know, the, and the things that have, I guess have come to the boil, particularly with COVID-19, um, you know, the, the race problems, and ultimately what the world has is too many barriers in my view. And social work is a global profession and we need to provide global connections 
if every you know country collaborated better and worked um, you know in a I guess a more united way, would there be such disproportionate success um, and results between countries within COVID nineteen? You'd, you'd assume not. Um, and that's really what we're trying to achieve in a tiny way is uh, creating global connections and sharing knowledge, sharing resource. And it works both ways. I think when you look at the fundamentals of what international recruitment actually is, is there is largely coming from less developed countries, professionals coming to the UK and Australia and America and the countries with money. And that's because we have more hospitals and, and larger councils to have these professionals here. There's lots of universities overseas in these countries, but there's not enough hospitals and there's certainly not enough local authorities. And the idea of taking these professionals away from their home countries when those communities need them just as much doesn't sit well. Um, but it's a you know it's a process and it's a system that already happens. So we want to make that as well as it can be. But part of our business is going to be to give back. Not just giving back as you know part of a profit share or that is something that is happening, but we love the idea of sharing resource and knowledge. Um, we want to be able to um, set up projects where we can get the best of the UK and the best of Australia to go and work in, the, in these developing nations and 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 make it more of a 360 degree shared benefits and global community. Um, that all ties in with the launch of our new software platform, Migrate HR, and um, and I guess that's the future for me across many different professions. Um, but certainly, you know, when it comes to the care of you know, vulnerable children and vulnerable adults. Okay. Two more things I'd like to talk to you about within the time that we've got left, if that's all right. Um, one is just, again, let's keep to the example of the person you mentioned that you might be recruiting, say, from the Indian subcontinent um, coming here. Now, there are things you haven't mentioned that you told me about before that I think people would like to hear about. And one is the ambassador scheme, the mentors that you're trying to create or have created in this country that would welcome people and keep an eye on them and offering accommodation as well, I believe, Sanctuary is saying that they will, to help people absolutely acclimatize and fit in and also keep well in touch with families back home so that there's much more of a kind of a settled atmosphere, much less homesickness, much less, much more opportunity to actually do the work that they're trained for in the best way possible. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the full process behind that is to, I guess it's always leaning on the sense of community that we want to create um, and breaking down the barriers to achieve that and using technology. So within employers that we work with in the UK, we constantly push and ask them to create ambassador roles and supervisory roles and not just uh, you know, the managers that they end up reporting into, but other people within the organization, and particularly if those people have been through the process beforehand. We can provide our own um, previous candidates that have been through the process because they are very, very keen to give back to others that are about to embark on that journey. But um, it, I think it works better when it comes from people that they're going to end up working with and being in a team with. And those ambassador roles can be anything from um, you know, weekly kind of video calls and just explaining to them how their day has been so they get that view of what life is going to look like in the UK. Mm. But after they arrive, just having a you know, friendly face and somebody that you already have a relationship with, that really, really helps anybody settle. And, um, and also one thing that's really important is, is not having, a, I guess, a, a them and us culture. 
that has happened in international recruitment and um, that just really helps with the integration. I was going to press you about that, to be honest, because I have, I mean, you know, you, you, you do hear stories of uh, groups of people coming from overseas and actually being, you know, placed in a particular local authority and ending up just themselves, if you see what I mean, you know, and, and as you said, them and us. And that is total anathema to me in terms of integration and in terms of efficiency, apart from, apart from the human element. So you're committed, is that what you're saying, to actually doing everything you can to avoid that? Yeah, and it's not just a commitment, it's, it's, it's systematic for us. Um, we don't recruit large mm. volumes from any one country to one employer. We have a you know, balanced supply across many different countries um, you know, where possible, a you know, maximum of 10 from one country per recruitment campaign. And, um, and ring fencing, you know, uh, in that way, it's... I guess it's, it's aligned to our values as well. You know, not taking too many professionals at one stage from another country, not creating them and us. Working in smaller numbers, you're able to give everybody, um, you know, I guess more of a that human touch and focus and support. Um, and that's the way that we work, um, and that's the way that we'll continue to work. Um, but we're always learning and, um, you know, and, and working with employers to, I guess, to try and improve that. Okay, so given the fact that people in several countries will be listening to this podcast, I mean, which countries at the moment are you particularly interested in, in, in having conversations with? So the, the, currently um, we're really interested in looking at more emerging markets in Europe, such as Malta and Ukraine. Malta has a very mm -hmm. high level of English and a very good um, kind of clinical um, you know, skill sets within their public sector. So the individuals and professionals there can often um, integrate very, very well. Ukraine is very interesting. It's a huge country, huge population already looked to recruit overseas and to find employment. But um, you know, with Brexit, it's been a, a, a bit of a black hole within Europe and having uh, EU professionals come into the UK. Um, and non-EU professionals as well. And Ukraine not being part of the EU has meant that it hasn't really been that vehicle uh, for UK employees to go and recruit from the Ukraine. Now they're on an even playing field okay. for the rest of Europe. You know, UK is, is a really big um, you know, destination of choice for Ukraine. And a lot of the Ukraine public sector services are based on the UK. Um, level of English, again, is very, very good. Um, so, you know, they're the countries that we're looking to um, grow our sort of supply chain and relationships with, but we tend to uh, recruit across the Caribbean, um, Asia, Australia, um, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and, and West Africa as well. Um, but we want to diversify you know, the countries that we work within um, as much as possible, really. Okay. Well, okay, just before we finish, I think talking about Ukraine, something one of their neighbours actually, I think you find this quite interesting. Yesterday was the Day of Social Workers in Yakutia, if you've heard of that. It's the Seka Republic, which is the largest region of the Russian Federation and actually is the coldest place on earth. And 200 social workers gathered there yesterday under the uh, arrangement from Antonia Deskina, who's the president of the Russian Union of Social Workers, 
and Antonia has been a guest on this program, so a previous podcast I've done with her. And so just when you mentioned that there, I thought it was quite amusing to think about yesterday, 200 social workers celebrating social work, but freezing themselves to death in the coldest place on earth, effectively just shows you how varied and diverse social work is, the half a million social workers that there are across the world. Absolutely. Anyway, Lee, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, and nice. um, I wish you well. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have really had this podcast if it hadn't been um, an organization that I believe was ethically responsible. So I do commend you for that and wish you well in your rebranding, aren't you? Later on, as you said, going to become um, the new organization that you're calling yourselves later is that's right yeah isn't it? The, um... absolutely so we're rebranding um with the launch of the software to migrate hr um with yeah lots of big aspirations well, all on software it's a new world isn't <laughs> it i mean social workers will be robots next i mean actually though in south korea they have uh, robots going around the population helping with covid 19 issues and are completely autonomous it's amazing yeah i mean it's a small world that i you know um <laughs> but it's, it's it's been a pleasure you kept talking about software that is unfortunately the future which we have to integrate anyway look Thank you very much indeed for your Thank time. You. And um, I will um, look forward to speaking to you again.